Welcome to Peripheral Thinking, a series of conversations with entrepreneurs, advisors, activists and academics intending to inspire you and maybe challenge you with ideas from the margins, the periphery. Why? Because that's where the ideas which will shape tomorrow are hiding today, on those margins, the periphery. Uh, This week I spoke to George Thompson. George is a filmmaker and explorer of the Tao or the Tao, depending on the pronunciation. Um, After a personal crisis of his own, he set off to become kinder to himself. Through a series of unexpected events, he found himself at a small Tai Chi school in the mountains of China. There he found Taoism, and through practicing its healing arts, his mental health transformed. George creates short films on his YouTube channel, which is well well worth checking out, and hosts a really great um, online community called wayfinders.global. check out both of those things. Uh, Really excited to have George join us today to talk about Taoism. I first encountered Taoism about 30 years ago reading a great book, The Tao of Pooh, and was pointed back to it via my conversation with Jeremy Lent, which is also worth checking out. Jeremy pointed me towards George, and George, I'm sort of hugely excited, is here with us today. George, thank you for joining me on Peripheral Thinking. Thank you, Ben. Pleasure to be here. So uh, we were just having a little bit of a chat before recording and we uh, I found you uh, via Jeremy Lentz. Jeremy has also been on the podcast and Jeremy has spoken uh, a fair bit about Taoism in, in his books. And so essentially what I'm really keen to talk to you about today is Taoism. Uh, Jeremy suggested you would be the person to speak to, to, uh, to kind of shed some light and insight on this kind of age old topic. Well, they're kind words. And yeah, Jeremy Lent is a great inspiration for me part of this movement of people synthesizing wisdom from the East, this ancient wisdom emerging from nature, and then also, yeah, science of the West and and everything that we've achieved in in Western civilization. So yeah, I hope I can offer my two cents on Taoism. I'm I'm a young person still working out life and working out Taoism, but it's transformed how I talk to myself and how I understand the world. So yeah, it's been a very nourishing journey. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to getting into all of that. But I want to say that the first place I, I wanted to start, when I asked Jeremy, he said, oh, you should check out George. And he pointed me to your YouTube channel, and we'll include all of that, those links and whatnot later. Uh, and uh, and a documentary that you'd made, which I think is called Journey to the East. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And so you traveled to China. This is both a kind of literal and metaphorical journey to the East. Is that right? Yeah. So I, I'll actually start my journey back for the first time that I went to China, because I've been twice now, been blessed to have gone twice. The first time I'd finished education, formal education, got confused and anxious about what I was supposed to be doing in the big bad real world and descended into anxiety and confusion where I'd be bedridden and just didn't know how to talk to myself. A new character began to emerge in my consciousness, which I called the underminer and little evil wizard. That was the voice that brought me down and gave me pain. So yeah, stuck in my head, unable to really handle myself. And I thought perhaps some Kung Fu would be good for me. I'd watch some monks doing backflips and chopping karate blocks and doing stuff like that. And I thought maybe that'll make me stronger and maybe that would be good for me. So yeah, with a very kind of vague and naive intention to go learn maybe some meditation and some martial arts, I went off to China and yeah, through a series of unexpected events, tried to get into some monasteries, failed, tried to get taken to a Kung Fu school, and I was taken to a Tai Chi school. I thought Tai Chi was generally slow, serious, and boring, but I tried it and fell in love with it. And the place that I studied is called the Wudag Mountains, which is this incredible collection of temples and monasteries and Kung Fu schools and Tai Chi schools. And the philosophy and religion of the Wudang Mountains is Taoism, this beautiful philosophy from two and a half thousand years ago. And I was reading the Tao Te Ching, which is the sort of Bible of Taoism. And this ancient book, only a few, each chapter is only a few lines long. I'd read it and just my headspace would be transformed. And wow, the things that I struggle with, the ancient Chinese also thought about. And here's a very simple way of understanding myself that's much more inspiring and much more grounded. So that was coming up to five years ago now. And so I've been on a journey ever since uh, of getting deeper into Taoism, sharing what I learn on YouTube with my YouTube channel. And then I went back to China after living in modernity and normal life 
in Britain, I went back and that was the journey to the East film, which was, yeah, the, the medium through which I'm trying to communicate these Taoist ideas is through film. And so that was my first kind of semi feature length. It was a 50 minute documentary explaining Taoism told through my story of returning and to see if Taoism could offer us anything to help us understand what's happening in the world and the way forward. So I guess maybe the beaty thing to get our heads around to help, what, what is Taoism? Is it, how, how do we, what is it? Yeah, and, and this word, the Tao, it's also pron pronounced Taoism or Tao. And so that can be quite confusing because you're thinking Taoism, Taoism, is that two different things? Well, first of all, there's different spellings for the same thing, which is Taoism, the philosophy and religion in the Wudang in China. So there's actually two different words in Chinese to refer to one, the philosophy and two, the religion. So Dao Jia is the philosophy and Dao Jiao is the religion. So Taoist philosophy is what I've been exploring and Taoist, Taoism emerged from a time in China called the Warring States period, which is an incredibly tumultuous time where warring kings fought bloody battles to become emperor. And this chaos demanded new ideas to return, to help return the land to order and to peace. And so Taoism and the Tao Te Ching, this foundational text of Taoism emerged from this time. But we can't really say that it emerged from one person, although the supposed author of this book is called Lao Tzu, because actually it's the accumulated spiritual wisdom of generations of thinkers in China. We have, for example, yin-yang clay pots, the spiral, that date back to something like 2000, 3000, 4000 uh, BC. So it's almost that the, this wisdom predates civilization. So it emerged from the hunter-gatherer tribes and from the sages and the shamans that were the spiritual leaders of those communities. And this wisdom was passed down the generations orally and then condensed and coalesced into what we have today, the Tao Te Ching. And so Taoism is a philosophy. It can be a religion, but really I like to think about it as a way of life. It is, the Tao Te Ching is a series of, of observations of nature and they're given to you as offerings. Like here's some observations about how the world works. We're not trying to convince you to join our team and to plant your flag on the Taoism uh, yeah, mound. But instead, here's some observations and do what you will with them. And so really the responsibility is given to us to understand and rediscover these principles that have been true through time because they're observations of nature rather than cultural constructs or things that come and go with the trends. And so that is why this little book from two and a half thousand years ago could help me, a British man living in the 21st century, thousands of years and tens of thousands of kilometers away from where these ideas originated. And so, yeah, that is the, the timeless power of Taoist wisdom. And so it sounds like so it, it, it spins around, uh, sort of, pardon the phrases, it's kind of spins around some, some core principles, is that right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so the word, the Tao of Taoism refers to the world, everything within it, but also the principles that underlie everything that happens in the universe, the laws of nature, the mysterious intelligence that makes our consciousness, the, the miracle that we're here and aware and we're in an embodied experience. So the Tao refers to everything in the universe, but also this mysterious patterning intelligence. And so nature works through patterns, through oscillations, through movement. You have the sun, you have yeah, the seasons, everything's in oscillation. And so nature's moving. And if we understand these movements and work with them, then we can work in keeping with the Tao, in keeping with nature, rather than fighting the world or not understanding it and therefore finding it difficult to live life. And so the promise of understanding the Tao is when we understand these principles of the movements of nature, that we can understand ourselves so that we become friends with ourselves, we understand other people so that our relationships have less conflict and we understand nature and we realize that we are one meaningful, inseparable part of this unfolding miracle of intelligence in the universe. 
So um, when you were talking at the beginning about, you know, sort of the, the kind of bedridden confusion of kind of, you know, how do I live? How do I function? And the sort of depression, I guess, that goes, what, what is it in reading and understanding that bigger movement of things helped you out of the bed, metaphorically speaking, or literally speaking? Yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. So for me, this little voice appeared in my head and like became a much stronger character. Of course, like we all, most people have an inner critic and, you know, I still get anxious. I still get confused. I still get down, but I have more space within me. And so the, the, the kind of simple path to spiritual realization for the Taoists is meditation, creating the space within so that you can see these thoughts arise in our consciousness. We can't control what thoughts come into our heads but we can control what we do with them. And so a really liberating concept that comes from the Tao is the mystery and the complexity of the Tao. And so I used to confine myself to you know, a couple of sentences. Hi, I'm George. I'm mentally weak, which is why I get anxious and I'm sad. And I'm trying to improve myself. I need to do better. So the full wiggly incredible miracle that this embodied human experience is that has the name of George. All of that complexity I managed to contain in just a couple of sentences, and that couple of sentences gave me pain. Chapter one of the Tao Te Ching is super inspiring. So the very opening lines of, of Taoism in the Tao Te Ching is, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. The name that can be named is not the eternal name. The Tao is both named and nameless. Named, it is the mother of myriad things. Nameless, it is the origin of all. With desires, we can see the manifestations of the world, but only desireless can we see the mystery. And to see the mystery is the doorway to all understanding. So, yeah, the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao. The George that can be defined is not the eternal George. Anyone that claims, okay, this is how the world works. We've got our little red book. And if we just do this, then we'll live in utopia. You know that they have to be wrong because the Tao, the world, the universe is far too magnificent and complex to be captured in words. And that's true of all of us, that these little stories that we tell of ourselves cannot capture the full wonder and mystery of who we are. So thoughts can be real in the sense that they are experienced in and they have feelings associated with them, but they cannot be true because they are always rising in our consciousness based on limited information, our limited senses. And so meditation gives us the freedom to see these thoughts come up and it's okay to have the undermine. It's okay to have these critical thoughts, but not to necessarily allow them to latch on to the story of who we feel we are. We can allow them to come up and go and we find freedom through that. Because when I hear the opening lines there, it was really kind of helpful that you put the the kind of the, the George on it too. Because I think when I hear those, I hear the paradox and the paradox feels sort of enchanting and alluring, but also confusing. Yes, yes. And it's like I don't know whether to I don't know whether to get in, I don't know whether to sort of ignore and this and you know, is part of the attraction somehow the paradox, the mysticism, mm. the unknowingness of the words. Yes. Yeah, Dan, Dan Millman's got a great thing on this. He says, life is paradox, change, and humor. So, yeah, if you can hold on to those three constants, then you're, you're going to be living okay. Because, yeah, the Western mind, and I guess the human mind, craves certainty because uncertainty implies that perhaps our survival is at risk. We want to control the world. We want to control everything so that we feel safe. However, we're in a big, wiggly, infinite mystery. And so it cannot be controlled and it cannot be contained. And yes, yeah, it's, it's like with technological innovation. So we're solving problems, we're making the world better, but like whack-a-mole, you whack one problem down and then the other one pops up and we're finding it's in increasing in energy as we're becoming more powerful through our technology. And so, yeah, paradox and mystery is a fundamental part of existence. And so, you know, the Taoists thought it was that important that they started their foundational text, their Bible, with, we don't know, their opening lines. The Tao that can be talked about is not the eternal Tao. That's in a book called the Tao Te Ching, which is the classic book of the Tao and its power. So that humility is super inspiring. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people. But it's also... Yeah, it's sometimes one does crave 
the clarity and something that the Taoists want to temper us against is having the this this certain knowledge. Like we yeah, as I said earlier, we crave like if someone just give me a five point plan to live an easy life, I'll take it. But when we when we follow those plans, we externalize our power. And so actually it it, it can never be the, the full answer. And so part of Taoist practice is sitting in the mystery. And those chapters, they can actually just be read as a mantra. They don't have to be necessarily understood with the intellect. But what what you can find with practice, the more you read them, the more it becomes embedded, internalized. And then these chapters begin to pop up in your awareness when you might need them. And so actually that paradoxical, less concrete way of communicating information can actually be more powerful because it, it it, it speaks to a deeper part of our consciousness. You mentioned that you mentioned humility. So, w- what would be the other um, sort of core underpinning values, which uh, yeah, which which underpin Taoism? Yeah, so humility and mystery being one. I'd say the second one, which is kind of yeah, classically associated with the uh, with the the Taoists, is the yin yang. And so, this is a such a simple diagram predates Taoism, but the Taoists really talk about it is this is a a graphical representation for change uh, and for for movement so you have uh, everyone hopefully can picture the yin yang you have the yin part and the yang part they're kind of two fishes into interweaving dancing together and there's those little dots so the dots represent that there's always a bit of yin and yang and a little bit of yang and yin so often we can fall into binary thinking black and white either i am messed up or either i am jesus and you know everyone should celebrate me you know we we fall into these easy categories where we want to yeah contain the world into binary categories but yeah life is paradoxical life is mysterious and we find that even when we're really sure about something the next day we find it's completely switched so for example you have a conflict in the workplace with a friend uh, yeah with, with a colleague and you think they're out to get you they're undermining you in meetings and so that is perhaps the yang judgment that, that pops into our heads is that janice is out to get me she's trying to undermine me on purpose but if we know that there's always yin and yang going on in any situation we know that janice is much more complex than just that judgment that arises in our heads so a really actionable question to ask from the yin yang is where's the hidden yin? Where is this other factor that I haven't accounted for? And when we ask that question with Janice, we may realize that she doesn't actually understand what we do. And so she thinks that my job is in conflict with hers, but actually it's not. So the yin strategy would be to go meet her for a coffee, explain what you do, and then you have a new working relationship, no conflict required. So change is a natural part of of life and there's complexity and so the yin yang is a really helpful symbol to help us hold on to both these ideas is that when we find ourselves being judgmental we can bring the yin yang to mind remind ourselves that there's always more to the story and if we are clinging on to stasis i just want everything to stay the same although that we may crave that that actually change is the only constant. And so the yin-yang can help us flow with that rather than trying to cling on to something that exists only in our heads. Yeah, it's, I, you forget, it's obviously the, the, yin, the yin-yang sim, symbol is, you know, like these things. And obviously we live in a time where symbols are massively appropriated all over. But I mean, that is such a iconic sign, isn't it? So, 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 so that's not, uh, not uh, originally a Taoist symbol, but is a symbol the Taoist sort of... Um, Took on exactly, yeah. So and the the same spiral is it is the the designer is nature, not not a, a person. So the actual original yin yangs were it's kind of a swirling logarithmic. I can never say that word log logarithmic, whatever that word is. Um, uh, yeah, a spiral where the this like you see it in hurricanes and galaxies, spiral seashells. Why nature-like spirals is a mystery we don't know. Like, how is it that something as huge as a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars, not made of matter, but instead gravity 
bringing matter into a self-organizing pattern that exists over a distance of billions of light years. How, how is that same pattern then also found in shells and hurricanes and the crowns of our heads? So that spiral, the Taoists, they studied nature. And so they saw that spirals is one of the fundamental patterns of nature. And so the Celts had something similar to the yin yang, the Mayans did as well. But certainly this, the, 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 spot, the yin yang that most of us think about is later. So it's around 1400 AD. I'd need to fact check myself on that. But that kind of going from the full spiral that you'd see in a hurricane to the two fishes of yin and yang with the dots came later. But the same fundamental concept still applies. So when people talk about yin yang, is, is the point that it's just about the contrast? The thing that comes to my mind is, you know, that phrase, well, when you zig, I zag. Is the, is the point that it's just about contrast or there are some characteristics are yin and some characteristics are yang. So when you're talking about, oh, you know, there's too much judgment, need to look for the, the yin in that. And so is it that there are some characteristics and qualities which are more one and more the other or is it just about the difference? Mm, yeah, so traditional Chinese medicine spent thousands of years categorizing everything into yin and yang. <laughs> and so... That's not necessarily strictly the pure Taoist philosophy, but yang is the white and yin is the black. So if you think about fang, think about your white fang, and then you know that yang is the white part. So yang is, is, is so some pairings. So you've got the sun and the moon. So sun being yang, moon being yin. You've got yeah, light and darkness, yang and yin. You've got life and death, yang and yin. And so a general principle is that yang is the more active uh, component of, of a duality, and then yin is the more passive. So, for example, with those judgments, the yang is the, ha, here's a thought in, in my head, Janice is out to get me. So, because that's the obvious thing, that would be categorized as yang. The yin is that hidden darkness. Because we have limited cognition, we focus on a limited amount of information to, to make any decision, which is totally necessary in order to function in an infinitely complex world. But we can often only focus on what's happening in the foreground and not look to the background. We get caught in the yang and we forget that there's always some, some yin going on. A good example is the earth itself or, or people's pride. So, you know, you have the Donald Trumps of the world who are very proud of their success. I'm a great businessman. Can't do a Trump uh, impression. And, but, so what, but what's the background? that makes Trump's success, quotation marks, possible. So he, at any moment in time, is physically held up by the earth. So that's the, the stage upon which and from which all life comes to be. And so without the actual earth holding us up, nor the trees to give us air to breathe, nor for the fungi to create nutrients for the trees and the connections go on into infinity because everything's in relationship in nature, that you cannot have that foreground, that yang, without the yin, without the background, without the hidden. And so that's coming back to humility. Another, another powerful learning from the yin yang is that, that how can we be proud of our success? How can we even be claiming anything about our bodies? They are gifts given to us by the mysterious intelligence of the universe. We didn't ask for them, and yet here we are. And for Trump to be... You know, to make any of his money, he depended on tens of thousands of people to, to work in his systems, as well as all the natural systems to provide air for his customers and, and trees for his banknotes to be printed upon. Uh, well, one thing I'm, I'm really curious about, so um, we talk about, uh, talk about the mystery, obviously, talk about um, Taoists sort of looking at, understanding, learning from systems and rhythms and processes of nature to help us understand our our place, which I guess partly is about understanding our lesser place rather than the kind of ego inflated place that is obviously easy to kind of easy to occupy. Um, in in the studying of that, in the studying of, of nature, in the studying of the systems, you know, what role, what place does Taoism have in amongst the crises of our time. So there's wars going on that we know, of course. There's environmental sort of collapse or whatever word you choose to, you know, to, to describe it. Ecological collapse, huge political, social upheaval. 
with all of this swirling around and happening around, what what role for Taoism in in this in this time and space? Yeah, it's such an important question. And before we were before we started the session, we were discussing and talking about how there's this democratized bottom up movement. So so many different approaches are going to be needed because they use language that resonate with different groups of people. And so you have your network, Ben, and you you know have impact and you're raising the consciousness of the people that you work with and you may not necessarily use Taoism. And so coming back to the yin-yang, which is such an important concept, which helps us hold complexity, which stops us falling into binary categories. Because it could be that, you know, and I can be a bit evangelical about Taoism because I'm so passionate about it, but I could be team Taoism and saying like, right, so look, if we just all become Taoists, then they'll, you know, the, the, our world crises will be stopped. But there needs to be a diversity of, of, of approaches. Well, I would say that Taoism can provide, and why I am, I am so passionate about it, is because it gives a, a, a grounded, scientifically compatible understanding of who we really are deep down. And these are really simple principles that we, we come from a mysterious intelligence and there is no superior people. And even humanity isn't a superior species. The same sort of genetics and intelligence flows through all the plants and animals. So that's principle one. So that's what the Tao is called the Tao. Principle two is that everything's interconnected. So we have a perspective now that the Taoists didn't. We are in the last 70 years, the first generation to see that we are living on a sphere, a planet in endless space. And yeah, we are sharing this planet. And so we were on spaceship Earth and so very much interconnected. And so what the Taoists saw through their own experience, the interconnection of nature and the forest, is very much true. And so two simple principles there, but actually when we really feel these principles is that we can deeply connect with a sense of spirituality that is compatible with science. Because I truly believe that so many of our crises come from disconnection. And you know, I'm not the only person who's believing that. For example, like we could, our economic systems are based on the assumption that nature is a resource to extract and exploit. And we could only think that if we believe that we are somehow separate from nature or superior to it, rather than the reality that we are nature and we are connected to it. And so that exploitation of nature is destroying ourselves, as we're finding with our increasing crises. And we could only continue these systems that are destroying ourselves if we are spiritually disconnected, believing that we are somehow, yeah, just in some airy fairy land where what we do to nature doesn't actually affect uh, how we survive. And the same thing is true with war and conflict is that governments and, and people in power and tyrannical authoritarian leaders can say, those people over there, they are the backwards people, they are stealing your jobs or they are at putting you, your family at risk. And so they create this separation between the bad people over there and us, the goodies. But again, if you take that holistic Taoist, but universal perspective that we come out of the same intelligence, we're not that different, even if we speak, think, and look differently, then that gives us a ground for, for connection and for working together. And so there will be lots of different approaches needed, but at its core, I think that we, yeah, we've been on this journey for the last 500 years of kind of being in the West, I'm talking about of, and Jeremy Lent beautifully talks about this in The Patterning Instinct, of breaking out of Christian dogma, which held a lot of opinions that are pretty challenging. And so we went to full atheistic science, but actually we lost the awe and wonder and the gratitude and the meaning of this shared unfolding miracle that life is. And so I believe part of our journey of healing is that spiritual reconnection is that can we find connection without then having the dogma of, of religion and I, I i truly do believe that is possible yeah that's really beautiful i think yeah just sort of talking to that point there of the, connecting to the wonder the wonder of kind of the flourishing life all around us 
One of the one of the criticisms that I read of of Taoism, and I think it's likely it's it's rooted in a misunderstanding, and I'd be really keen to get your view, is that somehow Taoism is passive, uh, and so the the this thing like in the time of war, in the time of collapse, that somehow I'm not acting. Taoists are not acting. That there is a passivity to it. Yeah, one of the big co- concepts in Taoism is Wu Wei, and people may have heard about it, and so. The Tao of Pu, a, a book that I know you've read, Ben, and, and many people come to Taoism through that book, which is amazing. The author says the Pu way, Winnie the Pu, is, embodies lots of Taoist properties and characteristics, the kind of effortlessness and the carefree, joyful living. And so Wu Wei, Pu Wei, Wu Wei translates in Chinese as non-action. Literally, Wu is non and then Wei is action. And so... Wu Wei is a big concept in Taoism, referring to really the aspiration of your practice as a Taoist cultivator, that maybe one day if you practice enough, then you can become Wu Wei uh, and become effortless and do non-action. So some people may criticize that and think, well, so what? The aspiration is just to do nothing then and just sit around and just, you know, eat honey all day and, uh, yeah, just laugh and sing and Smoke dance. Fags. Smoke fags. Smoke fags. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's stuff to do. There's, you know, people starving and there's, you know, jobs that need to be done. So is Taoism a purely passive philosophy? Well, you've just got to look to the masters on the Wudang Mountains where I studied, where you have Kung Fu masters and Tai Chi masters who dedicate lifetimes uh, into proper hard practice. So they have their routines and they cultivate and they meditate. And so they seemingly do stuff they have action and and they get things done and and so then it seems that Taoism isn't in conflict with action so how do we how do we reconcile these two concepts of actually the Taoists being able to achieve lots of things and work hard but then also this concept of Wu Wei and so Wu Wei for me is offering is another way of being is that it's not in conflict with doing and doing stuff when it needs to be done. But sometimes we forget that not doing is also available to us. So for example, in the West, sleep is simply a waste of time. Often, you know, you have people in corporate London who are working 100 hour weeks and they sleep is yeah, just something that they get through. And so they sleep four or five hours a night. But then we find with neuroscience and one's own felt experience, is that one, you get dementia, and two, your energy depletes, you gain weight, and you know all the kind of the, the problems associated with not sleeping. So suddenly that non-action, that not doing, isn't nothing. It's not not valuable, but it's something in itself. Another example is that when we are having a big kind of life life situation, like a job interview or a date, and we may put loads of pressure on us, on ourselves to be successful. And then we get in our own ways because we stress ourselves out. In a date, you start trying to memorize all the right words to be a funny, impressive person. And then you get your tongue tied and, and you, you, you lose it. And so then you just sit twiddling your thumbs because you've forgotten all the, the nice one-liners that you prepared. Another option is available to you, which is to just have the conversation like you normally would with anyone else, which is just to stay present. Like you and I, we are just listening to each other and thoughts may pop into our heads when you say something in there and then we just say it. So there doesn't need to be pressure to, to be anyone else except from who you are now. You can not do anything and allow that subconscious intelligence to serve you and to allow you to be effective. So there's some personal examples. So let's bring it to the collective now. And so I think there is some, some warranted criticism of Taoism, which is that it can be passive on, a, on, on the collective level. We've talked about the mystery and it is kind of hot, like politics is compromise and systems are really complicated. And sometimes you just got to make a decision, even if it's not the best. And we live in these incredibly complex civilizations. Traditionally, Taoism in China was seen as this sort of spiritual recharge philosophy for the leaders that would then use Confucian values in order to know what to do in society. So, however, I see Taoism as this sort of macro understanding within which you can have civilization. So 
if the basis of, of your understanding of, of what life is about and what society is about and what government is about is that, yeah, we're all part of this unfolding miracle. Government should be there to protect life, not just human life, but to, to help life flourish. Uh, and that is a democratic process in the same way that we see nature. There isn't a tyrant in the sky allocating how many birds are going to be put in Madagascar and then how tall the trees are going to grow in Kansas. No, everything just happens by itself. The, the, the Tao works from the bottom up. So in the same way that can we all be part of, and the reason that we're here as individuals is to help life flourish, to help our communities, to help our families. And so that being a bottom-up process, but also voting to create the systems that then also support our flourishing. So, so there are some ideas that, that where Taoism can really help us make decisions collectively. And one final point is war. So the Buddhists, and I know that you've been exploring Buddhism, are often pacifists, which I, I think nonviolence is something that we have to get to uh, as a species because we're too powerful now, our weapons are too powerful. However, the Taoists aren't pacifists because they lived in this really tumultuous time, the Warring States period, where you have marauding bands coming every so often to try and destroy your city. And so if you didn't defend yourself, then you would just be killed. And however, Lao Tzu talks about in the Tao Te Ching is that a good warrior, a good fighter should never be proud of their weapons, should never be proud of death. And so it's this reluctant defense. And so it's so easy in, this, in a warmongering society that we see you know, coming out of many countries in the planet is that war is the kind of the first option, the saber rattling. But for the Taoists, it's the last resort. And so when we see, as we are finding now, that those in power are allowing our world to be destroyed and are creating a, a world that cannot support humanity and is destroying all the non-human species. And so it's going to take a lot of energy to, to defend life and to, yeah, maybe war metaphors aren't constructive, but still feeling a strong sense of, of energy to protect and celebrate nature and, and this not being in conflict with Taoist principles. The thing that's coming up, and I appreciate, like you're saying, maybe the, the, the kind of war language isn't helpful, but it feels like we live in a time we're in need of fight. You know, and I know from uh, watching some of your things, you know, we take something like Extinction Rebellion. So there is Extinction Rebellion happening, you know, events happening in, in London this week. So the, there isn't an incompatibility in your mind between this kind of Taoist sort of investment and interest in all life flourishing and the need also to step up and be active, to be an activist and to fight for those things to try and bring that change about. Yeah, because if you see any any animal, is that one the, the the core characteristic of life is that it wants more life, and so a mother a mother polar bear defends its cubs from predators, a mother bird will defend its nest from predators, and we are destroying our only home. It's as simple as that, and so those in power. And it's complicated. It's really complicated and it's not easy. So it's not that we need to demonize those, those in power necessarily, but those in power that are saying, let's do something about climate breakdown and then not doing it are, be, are complicit in the destruction of our only home. The only place that, that we know is the source of life in the whole of the universe. And so when we actually can connect with that, hurt and injustice and that anger that naturally arises from this this fear and this damage that's happening then yeah action is the natural consequence and coming back to that the the kind of the ego that we discussed earlier is that how can we be proud of our, our individual success when actually we are inseparable and dependent upon things that are outside of ourselves is that when we realize that who we really are is not just George contained within a bag of skin, but actually I'm all of this because I wouldn't be here without it, then my circle, circle of compassion extends to all of life. And so the harm to faraway people in sweatshops or to 
the other miracles of nature, the other species that share this planet with us, when they get killed, killed, that is a harm to myself because I am them. I am all of it. And so, again, this natural desire to protect oneself can arise from realizing who we are deep down. I think one of the things I'd always um, kind of always felt like the one of the big sort of challenges is helping people really understand our interconnectivity. And I think maybe when I think about it, it must be because trying to really understand it myself, you know, this idea that actually really if we could understand, you know, what you do affects me and what I do affects you and on and on and on and on and on, that we we start to, you know, that, that kind of opens our eyes much more to or, or kind of opens our potential for a compassionate connection with each other. And But it feels we're so isolated, we're so separate and so subjected to messages which just reinforce these ideas from, you know, from the earliest schooling of here in here in the west you know through to how we live and function in the world it, it feels like that is such a huge task to help people really understand the interconnection of everything yeah yeah for sure it's such a crucial point and it makes me think of science so you know we are talking over the internet the the photons of light bouncing off me are communi- communicated to the camera translated into binary code sent to you at the speed of light represented to you and then your feed back to me and so we can have a conversation in real time let alone the thousands of people you know however many people watch this so we are so powerful with our technology and our science and yet we are very disconnected from it and so you know science tells us in school so here's the planet earth we live on a planet floating in infinite space and we're all on this thing together And there's this thing called evolution where the intelligence of the universe over billions of years has come from single-celled organisms to the miracle that is you. Isn't that incredible? Everything's connected. We're all part of one family. The trees, you know, all the air that you breathe, 99% of it was made by plants. And so you are perpetually being supported by the plants that renew all the air for you to breathe. Isn't that wonderful? So then, you know, you learn that at school and then you leave school and you never think about that again because it doesn't enter into your consciousness because, you know, other, you know, life comes up, job comes up and celebrity culture or whatever our hobbies are. And, you know, that's fine, but also it means that we don't keep that connection alive. So I think this is the kind of the key thing that science misses by itself is that it's too intellectual, it's cerebral. And it's also quite an isolated understanding. Something that religion does really well is that every week people go to church or the synagogue or the mosque and come together in silence without their smartphones in, in, in a sense of reverence shared together in community for the higher power and, and uh, well, a power. And we may ha- ha- see their metaphors and their stories as challenging. But I, I really see that basic concept of of sharing our spirituality together and keeping these insights alive because it is hard to stay connected. It is hard to keep in our, our consciousness that we are interconnected. And so I really see that there is a role for us to, to keep that alive uh, and that then being the ground, the grounding from which we make our decisions. Uh, and I do believe that that could have big system change implications. So a lot of these ideas that you we've been talking about here, these things, so kind of seeing and understanding and feeling how, you know, in the challenge and complexity of my life today, the stress, the worry that I have, whether it's, you know, a sort of, you know, micro personal thing, whether it's a sort of a macro external thing, that, that Taoism has a role of showing me a route out of that. If I am sort of intrigued by that, I am curious about that. What What is... What does practice look like for for the Taoist? And what you're, I guess, what you you just started to talk to there. This, you know, how do how what does practice look like? Yeah, so there's two types of learning. We can talk about two types of learning. One being the outside in, and then the second being inside out. So outside in is you listen to podcasts, you go to courses, you read books, somebody else's ideas, you bring from the outside in. However, the Taoist also offers inside out practices where we can take these ideas 
and then rediscover them for, for ourselves through our own experience. And, and, and so when it's inside out, it's much more powerful. So it's not just an intellectual cerebral thing. It's not just stuck in here, but instead it's an embodied thing. And, and so the body can hold mystery because the body is part of this natural mystery, whereas the brain wants to compartmentalize everything. So talked about meditation being one of the key paths to spiritual realization for the Taoists. And this meditation for the Taoist takes many different forms. So people would have heard of probably Tai Chi and Qigong. So these are moving meditations where you are present, moving the body. And that can be a, an amazing grounding where often we can be so stuck in our heads. And in the West, we're so disembodied that the body is just seen as a vehicle to move the brain between meetings rather than something that's valuable in itself, something that can be a teacher. When we do Tai Chi, when we do Qigong, we ground ourselves, we, we work on our balance, we stand strong and grounded and rooted like a tree, and then we breathe and we move with the breath. And when we're present like that, and you know, it takes time and it takes practice, we get glimpses of, of clarity and insight. And for me, it's been being someone who can very easily be stuck in my head too much and then just think that I need to work everything out of my head and so I ruminate, ruminate, loop, 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 get myself really confused, is that when I come into the body, I move with the body, I slow down, I am very grateful for this practice that can help ground me. And so, yeah, Taoism offers us not only ideas and philosophy, but practices because they look at ourselves holistically, mind, body, and spirit. The mind and our intellectual understanding is not separate from, from the body, and the body is not separate from the mind. We know that yeah, ideas can then affect our emotions, and words can affect our emotions, and also what we eat can affect how we think. And so there's this reciprocal relationship between the mind and the body because we are one whole organism. There isn't a separation. So these practices are super important. and Starting with the breath, I'd say, is, is the kind of the, the key, the key starting point is the breath or chi, the chi of qigong. When we are present with the breath, it is this anchor that can help us stay grounded. And so the simplest meditation practice that I do throughout the day, every day, is that when I notice myself caught in loops that aren't serving me, that are giving me pain, I take a single breath and I come back to the present moment. Sometimes I go back to that breath, go back to that, that loop, thought spiral. Often it's just that single breath can create that perspective. So I can say, okay, I'm doing this. Okay, let, let me reground. And so, yeah, the breath being the gateway into self-understanding and self-compassion. And so uh, connecting that to what you were talking about before, um, or just, just a moment ago, we were talking about reverence this sort of connecting to a reverence or giving time for reverence and that potentially being a a pathway a gateway into a very very profound systemic change for you the 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 first step on that journey uh is this you know might be a practice of breath for example yeah for sure and yeah for anyone listening in the podcast you can imagine my movements but one of one of the, a great move from Chung Liang Ao Huang who's an incredible Tai Chi teacher who hopefully, if, I, if I'm blessed, I will learn with him in the next couple of years. One of his great moves is opening the doorway to mystery. So we yeah, have our feet together, we cross our arms, and then we open up and step back as we open up. And we sink with the breath, so we breathe out as we open up. And... This is a metaphor, an embodied metaphor for opening up to the mystery. And when we are present and we begin to be present with our arms moving and our breath and the full wonder of, yeah, no matter our fitness, stiffness or headspace, no matter any judgment that may come into our heads, when we are present with this movement, we can find glimpses of reverence for, for nature and for who we are because we are this embodied manifestation of the intelligence of the universe. The 
Tao, God, Allah, Brahman, however you want to talk about it. When we are moving the body, we can actually connect with that. And it doesn't need to just be an intellectual experience. So a lot of what you do is about teaching through video. Is that right? So where, where, where would people find more of this? Yeah, so I'd, I'd gratefully welcome you to my YouTube channel. If you type in George Thompson on YouTube, you'll find it. There's lots of videos that I've been making over the last five years. Also got an amazing free online community called Wayfinders, where we have now a thousand people from all around the world who yeah, are sharing each other's spiritual journeys. And so it's our own social network. And I host weekly Qigong and meditation practices on that every Wednesday at 7 p.m. UK time. And that's completely free. And yeah, I've also recently completed a Taoism course, which is has 10 hours of pre-recorded content. If you want to get even deeper with me, you'll find some links for that as well. Fantastic. And I just did a uh, course with you as well, which was absolutely fantastic. And and really um, what you were talking about there, this, this connecting to a movement practice, because a lot of my own practice, so I have a regular meditation practice, which is very, very it's sitting, I'm sitting, seated. Uh, and I've really enjoyed adding the movement to the morning, adding some movement to the evening, as well as punctuating time during the day. But yeah, so I've really felt the benefit of movement, actually. So thank you for that. Mm, yeah, and I'm, I'm very glad you, you felt the benefit. And they all offer different things. So in the meditation group that I host on Wednesdays, we do a seated practice and then we do a moving practice because they teach us different things. You get a, a clarity and stillness with the with the seated practice and then the movement is yeah expressing yourself with with your body and so to the point earlier there's, there's there's so many different practices and movements that can help you and so yeah taking what serves you and and what helps you on your journey brilliant george thank you very much for your time thank you ben it's amazing what you're doing really grateful we are part of this movement and it can feel hopeless at times but yeah We've got to hold on to hope as a state of mind rather than a state of the world where we work for things that are good in themselves rather than the likelihood of success. So more power to you and, and thank you for everything that you do. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with George Thompson. All the information about George's online work, his YouTube channel, his online community, wayfinders.global. Check out all the information in the, in the show notes. Uh, and if you like the conversation, you like what we're doing, check out, you can check out all the others. Go to the go to my website, search up buddhaontheboard.com and you'll find the information links to peripheral thinking there. And of course, all your usual podcast providers. Uh, if you like what we're doing, please point it to other people. If you like this conversation, you think anyone else would benefit from hearing George's wise words, please do share. That is the lifeblood of what we're doing. Uh, the sharing, you taking the time to point others to it. So I'm kind of hugely appreciative of you giving us your time to listen to the conversation. Hugely appreciative of your effort in helping us spread the word. Uh, until next time, thanks and bye-bye.